Good morning, everyone. As always, it is wonderful to be back in the pulpit after a week off. However, before we begin, I wanted to publicly thank my partner in ministry here, Pastor Ricardo Vargas. Doesn't that have a nice ring to it? Pastor Ricardo Vargas for his faithful exposition last week and for giving myself and my family a chance to get away for a couple days following annual conference. So, Brother Ricardo, thank you for all the additional work and labor that you put in last week and for faithfully serving this dear flock so well. Nevertheless, the Buntings are back. I am back, and thus we are most definitely going to be back in the Gospel of Mark this week, looking specifically at Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 28, or where Jesus heals a man with an unclean spirit. And what we will begin to see in our text this morning, church, is that the world, well, they are going to begin to notice that there is something authoritative about this Jesus, something astonishing about this Jesus, something even quite amazing about this Jesus, which certainly shouldn't come as a surprise to us, church, being that we already saw early on in the Gospel of Mark that the Holy Spirit, verse 10, descended on Jesus like a dove at his baptism. And not only that, church, but God the Father then in verse 11 audibly proclaimed that this man named Jesus is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased to which the Holy Spirit then immediately drove Jesus Christ out into the wilderness in order to be tempted by the devil. And Jesus Christ, unlike our first father Adam, was able to completely fend off all the devil's temptations and remain perfectly obedient to the will of his father. So yeah, there most definitely was something astonishing about this Jesus Christ. I mean, even the message that he proclaimed was astonishing. That message being, verse 15, that the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. In essence, proclaiming to the world that if you want to be part of the ever-spreading, ever-growing, ever-expanding kingdom of God, then you must repent and believe in the gospel. That you must repent of your sins, confess your sins, turn from your sins, and place your trust in the King of the kingdom of God, that being in Jesus Christ. However, as we saw last week, church, the King then, Jesus Christ, he began to call some men to follow him. And as Ricardo articulated so well, these men that Jesus called, they weren't the most powerful of men, nor were they the richest of men, nor were they even the smartest of men. In fact, the men that Jesus called, Simon, Andrew, James, and John, they were all pretty much just ordinary men. For in fact, they were all just fishermen. Nevertheless, each one of these individuals that Jesus called was willing to drop everything and follow Jesus, live for Jesus, and do the work that Jesus called them to do, that work being, verse 17, to be fishers of men. Which takes us now to our thesis statement this morning, church, or to the main theme of our sermon this morning, 
which is this. Jesus Christ, his words are true and his power is absolute. Therefore, Christ and Christ alone must be authoritative over every area of our life, Christian. Jesus Christ, his words are true and his power is absolute. Therefore, Christ and Christ alone must be authoritative over every area of our life, Christian. Thus, at this time, church, let's open our Bibles up and turn to Mark chapter 1, as we'll be looking at verses 21 through 28. And if you are joining us this morning and do not own a Bible, please know that our church Bibles are located in the chairs in front of you. Therefore, if you are without a Bible this morning or do not own a Bible, then please let me lovingly encourage you at this time to grab a Bible and to turn to page 836 and join us as we as a church body hear the word of God together this morning. For again, we are in Mark chapter 1 this morning, looking specifically at verses 21 through 28, where John Mark, he writes, And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out. And the unclean spirits, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the grass withers and the flower fades, but your word remains eternal. And how good it is, Father, to come into the presence of our brothers and sisters in Christ this morning to worship you, Father, a God who sent his Son, Jesus Christ, into the world, not only to destroy the works of the devil, not only to preach the gospel, but to save sinners from their sins. Thus to you, Father, be the glory forever and ever and ever. I pray that you open up the ears of this dear flock this morning, church. Soften their hearts, open their eyes to this wonderful and beautiful text, this authoritative text. Lord, I pray that every word that we read in your most holy word, Father, it captures us, it captivates us, and that it stands in authority over us. Because we have a God in Jesus Christ, the King, who is authoritative over all, even over the evil forces of this world. Lord, let that capture our minds this morning. Let it penetrate our hearts and only further deepen our love for you. Father, I pray for help this morning. Send your Holy Spirit 
Lord, that you would help my lisping, stammering tongue to preach boldly, confidently, because this is your authoritative word, humbly, and Lord, that you be glorified through the preaching of your word this morning. Lord, if I look like a fool in the eyes of man, so be it. If you are glorified this morning and that people grow closer to Christ, to you be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our first of two points this morning, church, is this. Point number one, the words and the teachings of Jesus Christ are authoritative and true and thus must govern your life, Christian, and not the ways of the world. The words and the teachings of Jesus Christ are authoritative and true and thus must govern your life, Christian, and not the ways of the world. Verses 21 and 22 which reads, they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. So as we see in verse 21, it says that they, Jesus and his disciples, Simon, Andrew, James, and John, that they went to a place called Capernaum. Now, we are going to hear this name a lot, church, throughout the Gospel of Mark, because Capernaum, which was located on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee, which Ricardo touched on last week, actually ended up being kind of the home base, if you will, for Jesus' Galilean ministry. And thus, as we see in verse 21, that upon arriving to Capernaum, that immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and was teaching. Now, a couple things to keep in mind here. First off, what Mark is referring to when he says the Sabbath is the time period from Friday evening at sundown to Saturday evening at sundown, which was the day that the Jews would set aside to worship God, to worship the God of Israel. And furthermore, it was on this day, church, on the Sabbath, when the Jews would go to their local synagogues in order to hear the Old Testament scriptures read and expounded upon and interpreted and taught. And as theologian James Brooks points out, it was also a common practice for the Jews to invite different teachers and scribes to their synagogues in order to hear them teach. Therefore, it seems likely here that Jesus then got some kind of an invite to teach at the local synagogue in Capernaum. And boy, let me tell you, church, Jesus, he did not turn that opportunity down because as we see in verse 22, when Jesus started teaching, they, as in the people who were in attendance at the synagogue, they were astonished, meaning they were amazed, astounded, overwhelmed, and literally blown away by the teachings of Jesus Christ. And it says that they were astonished at his teaching because, verse 22, Jesus taught them not as their scribes. Now make no mistake here, church, these scribes that Mark is referring to, they were smart, like really smart, like well-trained, intelligent, educated teachers of the law who knew the Old Testament scriptures inside and out kind of smart, like could quote, link, and cite all the past views of their forefathers and all the rabbis and the teachers that came before them kind of smart. Nevertheless, when Jesus Christ 
arrives on the scene, the one who the Old Testament scriptures were actually speaking about, John chapter 5, the one who was to fulfill everything written about him in the law, in the prophets, and in the Psalms, Luke 24, and the one who lived by every word that came from the mouth of God, Matthew chapter 4, when he arrives on the scene and begins teaching, well, the Jews, they instantly knew that this guy was different because he, Jesus, didn't teach them by quoting from five different former rabbis or by citing all their past traditional views or by retelling story after story about what so-and-so said about the text some 200 years ago. Instead, when Jesus Christ started teaching, he taught them, verse 22, as one who had authority, as one who had divine authority, as one who only spoke the very words given to him by God the Father, John chapter 12. And thus, every word that Jesus Christ taught, preached, and proclaimed was the infallible, inerrant, and authoritative word of God. Which leads to the question then, brother Christian, sister Christian, are the teachings of Jesus Christ, the words of Jesus Christ, and the commandments of Jesus Christ authoritative then over every aspect of your life? Or is there another authority in your life, Christian, that lights your ways, that guides your path, and that ultimately supersedes the teachings of Jesus Christ? In a publication by the Naval Institute, Captain Frank Koch shared this story. He wrote that his battleship had been at sea in bad weather for several days, and that on one of those days he was on watch on the deck because visibility was poor due to patchy fog. However, shortly after dark, the lookout officer reported to him, light bearing on the starboard bow. Is it steady or is it moving astern? The captain yelled back. The officer replied, steady, Captain, which meant that they were on a dangerous collision course with that ship. So the captain yelled to the signalman, signal to that ship and tell them that we are on a collision course and that I advise them to change course 20 degrees immediately. The battleship, though, received back this response. It is advisable that you change course 20 degrees. To which the captain said, Send back to them, this is the captain speaking, change course 20 degrees. And again, the battleship received this response back. This is a seaman, second class speaking, you change course 20 degrees. Well, at that time, the captain of the battleship was furious. And he spat out, send to them, I am a battleship, change course 20 degrees. To which the battleship received this message back. And I am a lighthouse. Change course 20 degrees. So the captain of the battleship changed course. Church, let us never forget there is only one lighthouse 
Only one lamp unto our feet, only one light unto our path, and only one with the authority to tell us what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is bad, what is God-pleasing behavior, and what is ultimately sin, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he doesn't need, church, the approval of the world in order to do that, nor does he need to footnote any secular scholar in order to do that, nor does he need to cite any past tradition in order to do that because all authority, Christian, in heaven and on earth has already been granted to Jesus Christ by the Father. Therefore, Jesus Christ taught with authority because Jesus Christ was, is, and forevermore will be the ultimate authority over this entire world. And if that is the case, then practically, applicably, and relevantly speaking, church, are the teachings of Jesus Christ then completely authoritative over your life? Or to put it another way, do you then, Christian, believe Jesus Christ when he said that God created them male and female and that those two should become one flesh? Or do you believe the sages of this age who say that you can marry whoever you want? For do you affirm Jesus when he said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you? Or do you affirm this wicked generation who say, hate, cancel, and belittle those who disagree with you? For do you trust Jesus Christ conclusively, absolutely, and without a shadow of a doubt when he said that I am the resurrection and the light and that whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live? Or do you trust the scholars? the secularists and the elites of our day who say there is no hell, no wrath, and that everyone will be good in the end as long as we love ourselves, be ourselves, and do whatever makes us happy. Because truth be told, church, if you want to enter into the kingdom of heaven, then you can't deny the words of the king or pick and choose what teachings you want to follow of the king or claim that you really want the king to save you, but in reality reject the ways of the king because for you to do that is to not see Jesus Christ as your Lord, Savior, or king, but instead it is to see yourself as the king, yourself as authoritative, and to not be part of the kingdom of God, and thus willingly, joyfully, and wholeheartedly, Christian, submit to the authoritative words of Jesus Christ the King, because only those who submit to the words of the King and not to the scribes of this age will be part of the eternal kingdom of God forever, church. Which brings us to point number two, which is this. Grasping the authority that Jesus Christ possesses over evil naturally leads to amazement. Grasping the authority that Jesus Christ possesses over evil naturally leads to amazement. Verses 23 through 28. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed. 
so that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. So as we see here in verse 23, Mark's favorite word, that word being immediately, for Mark writes that immediately, verse 23, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. Now your translation, church, it might have an impure spirit, it might have an evil spirit, or it might just have a spirit. Nevertheless, when the Jews would have used the phrase, an unclean spirit, what they would have likely been referring to is that of a demon. Therefore, when Mark says in verse 23 that a man with an unclean spirit came into their synagogue, what he's saying is that a demon-possessed man ultimately came into their synagogue, which is interesting, church, because even though we read back in verses 12 and 13 that Satan left Jesus after his temptation, as we see here, Satan is still content to war with Jesus throughout the duration of his earthly ministry. And thus this demon-possessed man here, he says to Jesus in verse 24, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God which really perfectly exemplifies what I shared with you all a couple weeks back when I referred to James chapter 2, verse 19, and made the point that even the demons, church, know intellectually exactly who Jesus Christ is. Because as we see here in the text, the demon here, he knows right off the bat that this is Jesus of Nazareth, as in the one who was born of the Virgin Mary, a descendant of Abraham, a king from the line of David, and the prophesied Nazarene who would ultimately be despised and rejected by man. And not only that, church, but this demon also knows that this Jesus of Nazareth, verse 24, is the Holy One of God, as in truly God and truly man, to which the demon then, he asked Jesus, quite frankly, in verse 24, have you come to destroy us? Which is a rather logical question to ask, being that the Son of God appeared to destroy the works of the devil, 1 John chapter 3. However, as one commentator put it, Jesus here, he isn't interested in entertaining a conversation with this demon nor is he interested in being flattered by this demon, nor is he interested in debating with this demon. And this is obvious because Jesus Christ simply says to the demon here in verse 25, be silent and come out, which is just fascinating in and of itself, church. And I say that because, quite frankly, demon-possessed men, they were nothing to mess with. For as we will see later on in the Gospel of Mark, one demon-possessed man was so strong that he was literally able to break chains and shackles into pieces when people tried to bind him with them. And yet Jesus Christ here, he just simply says to the demon in verse 25, be silent and come out. 
And you can kind of feel the drama building here, church, within the text as the reader is left pondering and anticipating exactly what is going to take place next. However, church, there really is no need to wonder what exactly is going to take place next. In Michael Horton's book, The Agony of Deceit, he notes that many TV preachers today hold to a view that when Adam sinned, that the whole world then was turned over to Satan, and that the devil then became the legal owner of our planet. Thus, they in essence affirm that a good God rules over the spiritual world, and that a bad God rules over the physical world, leaving one with the impression that there are two gods who each possess equal power, both in quality and quantity, and that everything that is wrong in the world is the fault of the bad God, and that it is up to the believer to make sure that the good God wins. Thus, when a certain TV preacher defiled the orders of his denomination to refrain from preaching for a year, He assured the public that he was free of moral defect because he said another TV preacher had actually cast demons out of his body over the phone. And that since these demonic rascals were all gone, that he was now good to go with preparing the way for Christ's return, in essence blaming his sin on an external force. However, the famous line, the devil made me do it, It is hardly comedy when talking about a biblical view of sin, because for many of these TV preachers, their personal sins are simply attributed to the bad God, since they see him, after all, as sovereign over this earthly world. Or as the reformer John Calvin put it, they make the devil almost equal to that of God. And that is a major problem, church. Because Jesus Christ and the devil, they do not possess identical power in this world. For Jesus Christ and the devil are not co-equals in this world, not peers in this world, not matching foes in this world, and not equivalent to each other in terms of strength, dominion, ability, or reign within this world. For Jesus Christ, church, make no mistake about it, has absolute authority over the devil, over his demons, and over all the evil forces of this fallen age. And thus, when Jesus Christ says to the demon in Verse 25, be silent and come out. Verse 26, oh, the demon, he comes out. Therefore, what we must grasp here, church, is that although the devil is still working in this world to tempt us, to bruise us, and to bring trouble upon us, the devil, church, he is not all-powerful, not omnipresent, and does not have any authority over Jesus Christ, the King. And thus, the evil forces of this world, Christian, they cannot touch you for one millisecond longer or burden you with one ounce more than our God allows them to, since our God is completely sovereign over all the works of the devil, which is why then, church, you can have complete confidence in the fact that no matter what you are going through in the here and now, and no matter what evil forces might press up against you, that your God truly can and truly 
will work all things together for good for you according to his purpose, since the devil and all of his demons cannot, and I repeat, cannot do anything outside of the will of our God. Therefore, although this world is dark, and although the evil one is deceiving souls, suppressing the truth, and prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, let us never forget, Christian, that our King Jesus Christ, that he hates evil, that he has authority over evil, and that he will always, always, always overcome evil, no matter the form that it may take. And thus, do not fear the works of the devil or any other demonic or evil or wicked forces that might come up against you, church, but instead rest in the fact that our God is light and that the darkness will never overcome the light because our King Jesus Christ is sovereign, he is supreme, and he is authoritative over all, church, even over the works of the devil. Now, as we close this morning, church, I'll begin with the non-Christian who is here first. And non-Christian, yes, the King Jesus Christ abhors evil, has absolute authority over the evil one, and will ultimately defeat the evil one. However, non-Christian, if you have not pledged your allegiance to the king, and trusted in the king, and submitted your life to the teachings of the king, then make no mistake, you are not then part of the kingdom of God, but instead you are still part of the synagogue of Satan and will eternally end up just like your father, the devil, judged, punished, and eternally condemned in the lake of fire unless non-Christian, you repent of your sins and place your trust in the King of Kings, in Jesus Christ, who came into this world, non-Christian, as truly God and as truly man, not only to destroy the works of the devil, not only to preach the gospel, but also to save sinners like you and like me, non-Christian, from our very sins. And he did that, non-Christian, initially by living for us the life that we could never lived, meaning Jesus Christ lived a life here on earth that was sinless and righteous and holy and good and thus completely and perfectly fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law, non-Christian, and he did it for the children of God. However, not only did Jesus Christ live the life that we could not live, and keep the law that we could not keep, but he also paid the price, non-Christian, that we could not pay, meaning that Jesus Christ, the one who had the authority to lay down his life for his sheep, he, non-Christian, did just that. For Jesus Christ willingly bore the wrath that we sinners deserve for our sin by being crucified on a cross at Calvary and dying a sinner's death in our place as our very substitute although he himself never sinned. However, non-Christian, not only did Jesus Christ have the authority to lay down his life for his sheep, but he also had the authority to take it right back up again. 
And thus, three days later, Jesus Christ, he did not stay dead or buried in the grave, non-Christian, but he, Jesus Christ, he rose from the grave, and he defeated sin and destroyed death and crushed the serpent's head once and for all, and now offers eternal life to all who place their trust in him. Thus, non-Christian, let today be the day that you turn from your sin. Let today be the day that you repent of your sin and you place your trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone as the only one who can forgive you of your sin, as the only one who paid the price for your sin, who died for your sin and can clothe you then in his righteousness, in his perfect life and reconcile you back to God forever. Thus let today be the day, non-Christian, that you flee from the synagogue of Satan and submit yourself to the King of Kings, to Jesus Christ as the only one who can forgive you of your sin and give you the gift of eternal life. Thus let today be the day, non-Christian, that you repent of your sin and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to the Christian who was here this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, as I mentioned earlier, all those who were in attendance at the synagogue in Capernaum on the day that Jesus Christ taught, it says in verse 22 that they were astonished when they heard the teachings of Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ taught them not as their scribes, but instead as one who had authority, as one who had divine authority. And yet too often, brother Christian, sister Christian, we wrestle with the temptation of not submitting to the authoritative teachings of Jesus Christ because we look around at the world and it seems as though Satan is actually winning. For we look around at the world and drunkenness is being celebrated everywhere. Sexual immorality is now utterly approved. Abortion is being promoted far and wide. And slothfulness now, quite frankly, is becoming the new American dream. And thus it is becoming easier and easier for us now, church, to just fall into that trap of following the ways of the world because, hey, that is what everyone else is doing and what the government is promoting and what the media is glorifying and what those in power are advocating. Therefore, brother Christian, sister Christian, if you are feeling tempted this morning to compromise just a little bit on the teachings of Jesus Christ or to just turn a little bit from the ways of Jesus Christ, or to reject just a couple of the authoritative commandments from Jesus Christ because the world around you now seems to absolutely hate these teachings of Christ, then please, please, please let me remind you this morning, Christian, that Jesus Christ, who had the authority to calm the storm, to turn water into wine, to 
Heal the sick, give sight to the blind, hope to the hopeless, rest to the weary, and to lay down his life and to take it back up again, that he also still has absolute authority over all the evil forces of this age. And thus he, Jesus Christ, is the strong man, church, who will bind Satan, plunder his house, and ultimately destroy him and all of his minions once and for all, and no one will ever be able to stop him. Meaning the day will come, Christian, when every knee will bow and tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And as the Puritan Thomas Brooks put it, you can either bow to the king by the mercies of God, or you will bow to him by his judgments. Therefore, lovingly, let me exhort you this morning to not let any philosophy or deceit or tradition or any of the crude ways of this world to take you captive, Christian, because the one who rejects Jesus Christ and who does not receive his words, the words of Jesus Christ, then they will judge him on the last day, John chapter 12. Therefore, let Jesus Christ and Christ alone, church, be authoritative over your life. For his words are true, his power is absolute, and his kingdom will most definitely come, and thus to be on the right side of history, church, is to be on the side of Jesus Christ, the King. Thus it is my prayer that we as a church body see the teachings of Jesus Christ as authoritative, the power of Jesus Christ as absolute, and the reign of Jesus Christ as eternal. That our hearts be softened this morning to the point that when we read the words of Jesus Christ, we realize that what we are reading really is the mind of God, and that we also more deeply grasp the power of our Savior Jesus Christ the King, who all authority has already been granted to both on earth and in heaven so that when we feel the push of evil pressing up against us, Lord, it is my prayer that we know that you are with us and that you will protect us and that you will use whatever comes our way for our good and for your glory. Therefore, let us not be anxious about anything, Lord, but in everything let us be willing to trust in the words of the King, knowing that if we do, you, God, will be faithful and we will be part of your glorious kingdom forever and ever. Let's pray, church. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, you sent the king into the world. The kingdom of God was at hand, and it literally started flipping the world upside down. You came with a message, repent and believe the gospel if you want to be part of the kingdom. The evil forces that roamed throughout this world instantly knew who the king was, asking Jesus, what have you to do with us? And Jesus displaying his absolute authority over every evil force that roams this world, simply said, be quiet and come out. And the demon listened. All authority has been granted to the Son, Jesus Christ, on earth and in heaven. That is our King. That is our God. That is our Savior. Thus, let us submit ourselves in every aspect of our life to the teachings, the words, and the ways of Jesus Christ, the King, 
for he will be victorious in the end over all. Thus, let us make sure that we are not part of this synagogue of Satan that will fall, crumble, and be thrown into the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. But to be members of the kingdom of God, co-heirs with Jesus Christ and children of God. We thank you and we praise you, God. Amen. There is no deeper sacred communion with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ than the Lord's table. This is why only those who are his disciples are in